John Deere announces the new lineup of high horsepower four track tractors including an 803 horsepower option. There's three new models introduced, the 9RX 710, the 9RX 770, and the 9RX 830. It's autonomy ready. The new John Deere 18 engine eliminates the need for diesel exhaust fluid and offers an optional 168 gallon per minute triple pump hydraulic system. Command View 4 Plus Cab receives updates for increased operator comfort and visibility. Advanced technology package includes G5 Plus command center, display, and integrated Starfire 7500 receiver. The high horsepower 9RX models available for order in mid-March. For more information, go to johndeere.com or contact your local John Deere dealer. The crazy thing to me is like, I think about a world in two years from now or three years from now, what if a guy's wanting to upgrade a tractor, is he gonna trade two in? What yep. happens to the market? That's, that's like the what if for me, that is he gonna trade two tractors in for that one new one because he was sitting on an extra one? Then what happens to the used market? Those are the types of things that when that inventory starts to hit and the inventory starts to grow, there'll be signs to start to indicate, hey, we might be on the tail end of this thing. Ladies and gentlemen, farmers, ranchers, and distinguished guests, thank you for listening to the Farm for Profit podcast, where we discuss the latest ideas, methods, trends, and techniques available to help your farm achieve higher levels of farm profitability. The Farm for Profit podcast is co-hosted by Tanner Winterhoff, the Iowa Bankerman, and David Whitaker, the Iowa Land Guy, where in tandem they will share their ideas and advice from industry experts. Thank you again for listening to the Farm for Profit podcast. Remember, if you aren't farming for profit, you won't be farming for long. And now, here's Tanner and David. Hey, listeners, welcome back to the Farm for Profit podcast. This is Tanner Winterhoff. And this is David Whitaker. Got a lot of new listeners. So this is a Farm for Profit show. This is where we will talk about a specific item or factor or topic in agriculture that will relate directly to your farm's profitability. The next show in your queue or the one that comes out on Thursday is a Farm for Fun show where we pick a person in agriculture, not necessarily a farmer. Maybe it's somebody on social media and we focus on them and learn from them as to how your farm could be more profitable. Today. And that is why our other podcast host, uh, Corey, dubbed us the Mullet of Agriculture podcast, Tanner. So if you listener have heard the Mullet of Ag podcast, that is us. We are the business in the front and the party in the back with our happy hour spinoff farm for fun. But yeah. And if you guys have ideas, we know we get a lot of those and we appreciate them. Send them to farmforprofitllc at gmail.com or shoot us a text at 515 207 Nine six four zero. Who's the listener review brought to you by today? I tell you what, one of our strategic alliances, and it's been a great one. I'm going to say, and that is Sukup Manufacturing, uh, uh, Charles and Steve, and their whole group. Uh, when we went down to the expo, it was the first time we really got to meet all their staff, and we got to uh, uh, really partner with them, if you will. And then Farm Progress Show, uh, yeah. fantastic. We sure appreciate it. If you guys are listening, we want you to know uh, we do love Sukup Manufacturing, and uh, that is who our review is brought to you by today. Yeah, they're what, you said partner. That, I can say them being a partner for every one of our listeners. You know, They are the world's largest family-owned and operated manufacturer of grain storage, grain drying, grain handling, and steel buildings. So they've got you covered from basically the beginning of harvest all the way back around to when you start harvesting again. Get the grain into a bin, keep it in condition, sell it, park your machinery, keep it protected. 
SueCup.com. You bet. Tanner, uh, I say you bet way too much. But <laughs> with that being said, tell uh, me what our listener review was. Another text, 806-663-TSGA. Uh, We're not going to tell you the full phone number, but thanks for sending that in. Oh, hey, look at this. New headsets sound great, Corey. Keep up the great work. So, yeah, hey, we are. We're on new headsets. This way, our hands-free. Well, we've always been hands-free, but now we can turn our face and look at our guests and have more of an engaging conversation. So thanks again for sending that in 515-207-9640 if you've got something for us. But now it's time to hear from Jace. We're going to start playing segments with Jace Young from Legacy Farmer. We had him on the podcast a little while ago and thought his episode was super impactful. A lot of you guys wrote in and uh, we're going to start doing one of these on each one of our profit shows. And remind me, Tanner, uh, and our listeners, uh, we did a podcast with Legacy Farmer, and he is uh, secession planning, business planning. Is that right? Talking about the legacy of your farm. You want to build a legacy. You want to build a business, something that you can transition in the future. And if you don't focus on some key things, you aren't going to have a farm in the future. Perfect. Let's hear the first one from Jace. Jace Young here from Legacy Farmer, bringing you a legacy principle today titled, No Foundation, No Success. Thousands of farmers and ranchers across this country work their tails off year after year, but most of them never gain anything. And the number one reason for this is that they operate day in and day out with zero foundation in their business. It's like trying to put up a new building on a foundation of sand instead of concrete. The foundation is weak, which means everything on top is weak, and it's not a matter of if it will fail, but when. If you're in this type of situation, then you must focus on establishing a strong foundation and systems in three key areas of your business. Number one, finance and knowing your numbers at a detailed level. Number two, business operations, systems, and processes. And number three, team accountability and communication. A good friend of mine once told me, build your business to run without you, not with you. And the hard truth is that 99% of farmers or ranchers in this country are on the hamster wheel in their business because they haven't established any foundation to help their business run without them. Establishing these areas of your foundation will do just that. And until this is done, your business will not reach the level of success it is capable of. So do yourself, your family, and your future a favor and take action on these three areas today. Tanner, I heard something there and it was the word business. Uh, when we think farming, I know lots of people want to keep corporate farming out and they want family farming, but we heard business in what he just said, uh, I don't know, 10 times. When we asked everybody the question throughout the last year, of what are the most successful farmers in the world, in America, and wherever you're at, do, and I think the number one answer was run it like a business. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm glad that we're kicking off this. This is going to be a relationship with Jace for quite a while. And we're going to have more of these legacy segments. I'm excited. One, pay attention to your finances. Make sure you understand them. You don't have to be the expert. That's what accountants and bankers are there to help you with. Two, understand the operations. How are you going to delegate and put things in place on your farm and accountability because it can't always be somebody else's fault. And those are huge. So, Jace, thank you so much for giving us that first. Listeners, if you like these segments, let us know. Otherwise, go to LegacyFarmer.org and tell Jace for yourself. But now it's time to jump into a What's Working in Ag segment with Farmee. Molly Woodruff's with us today. Molly, tell me a little bit about yourself. You give us your bio. Just tell me where you're from, how you're involved in farming, and uh, a little bit about yourself. So my name is Molly Woodruff, and I am from the Indianola, Iowa area. So I live just northeast of Indianola, um, out on a family farm with my husband and kids. So that is kind of my background in farming, is helping my husband with his operation. 
And then I own a company called Farmy with three business partners. Uh, and we came to this conclusion because we all have backgrounds in ag and love the agriculture industry as a whole. So did you have a background in ag before you got married or did you marry into it? So I have family across the board that has always been involved in ag. So I have a semi background in ag. Both of my parents were technology, but grew up on farms and owned farms. So we were always out at the farm. So it's kind of a twist of both. Gotcha. And since my wife would always ask this question, how many kids do you have? I have four kids spanning the age of 19 down to one. So she's got farm hands, Tanner. That's what she's got. A whole <laughs> other story. But let's get back into the company Farmy. Um, I am one of three partners for Farmy. Um, we actually created this company because we found a need in the ag space to help connect farmers with other farmers. So what Farmy really is, is an app that's available on the Apple Store and Google Play Store to help connect farmers to other farmers to maximize equipment usage, find help, or even like barter or trade services. Yep. So, so basically, um, you're yeah. facilitating agreements, a barter system that somebody will spray and somebody yes. else will plant or harvest or Correct. back and Correct. forth. So yeah. uh, just an even swap for labor. You know, uh, we spent a lot of time on TikTok, and one of our good friends, Mike Burkhart, was mm-hmm. asked what he misses the most about farming now that he's retired and what he misses the least. And one of the things that he said he missed the most was when farming was just that. You bartered with your neighbors, yep. you all worked together. So you're kind of bringing everything back to what farming used to be. Yep. So the app allows for farmers to either barter across. So back to what you were saying, like if somebody has a planter and they want to plant and then somebody else has the combine and they want to combine, then they can barter that. Um, or if they want to do all custom work. So if somebody has the planter and the combine and you own land um, in Iowa and you're from Texas and you want to barter services or pay outright to have your system or your crops custom, then you can do that as well. Nice. So we found that need essentially by meeting with farmers around the state of Iowa, um, who we knew, uh, who said that they found that that's a need that they think they have because when they call their neighbor down the road, they're feeling like they are either doing the exact same thing. So they're not getting the services that they need or they, um, might, um, not be available at that time. I'm, I used to borrow stuff when I was younger and I would, uh, I didn't have a skid loader. So I'd have to ask the neighbor, I'd have to ask him to use his tracker. And I hated that Tanner. I hated it because I was like, what if I break something? What's he think for insurance? Does he think I go too quick? Like what, what's this like? So I was like, I, I have to like make it. So I buy it all myself. But when I was young, I could not do that. I had to borrow people's stuff. I'm sure there's other people out there like that. Like, I really don't want you borrowing my stuff. Do you know how to operate it? Right. How do you go about doing that? What's the conversation look like? Do they have, they don't have to loan it or have to barter? they don't have to at all. Nope. So it can be all custom work, like I said. So if you have a pond that needs built and you need the machinery to do it, but somebody else has it and they want to do the work, then you guys can trade or you can negotiate prices for that. I see more of that. And I I could also, you know, I'm not going to speak for Corey, our other co-host, but I could see him more likely using the help or equipment or service of somebody further down the road than the neighbor right next door. Because you don't want to admit that you you can't handle it or you can't do it. You don't want to admit that you can't get it done. So if we're going to go find the Farmy app, F-A-R-M-M-E-E, in an app store and use it, does it cost anything? Yep. So if you actually make a match and you accept the job, um, it is nine ninety nine across the board f- 
just to accept. That's pretty cheap, Dave. She just said if you make a match. It's like a dating app for (laughs) farm equipment or farm labor is what it is. Do we get a swipe right and a swipe left? Like, is there, like, tell me, you got to tell me there's a swipe left. There is not. You you hit a button to accept. (laughs) I she's going to go back to the app developers and it's going to become it's, a swipe. You need like, uh, we talked I don't about need that. that. I don't need that. I don't, ooh, I need one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Okay, so is this something that only happens here in central Iowa or is this around the world? How big does it get? So we are in 30 different states right now. Nice. Wow. Yep. So that actually helps us out. So if you're done combining in Texas and, and want to do some custom combining, they could come up here in Iowa and help us out. So, exactly. Uh, how many people are on your, can I ask how many people are on your app right now? So right now that's kind of um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the word out. So the app's okay. still relatively new. new. So okay. we're right around a year old. So we're continuing to make improvements, all of that. There right now are about a thousand users okay. um, that have signed up somewhere along the line for well, the app. Listeners, but, let's still a bigger number than I thought. Let, let's triple that. And if nothing else, even if you're not going to use it, go sign up for the app and see what it looks like. And where are they going again? Tell me again. Where are they going for this app? So it is available on the App Store and the Google Play Store. Okay. Um, yeah. And then you'll just type in Farmy. Okay. So I, two M's, two E's. I found it. I like that. Farmy. Two M's, two E's. It's kind of like us saying the four in the middle of the farm for profit. So I found the app. I downloaded the app. It's got a functional, easy to function dashboard. And then I put out there, I'm going to need help combining soybeans this fall. So I've already got a request. And that that's how this works, correct? If I have... Yep. Something that I need done, I put a service request. Yep. And then anybody that can provide the service that will match within the certain radius, um, once they input that service, will then match with you. What, what nice. about, so I have a neighbor and he came over and asked me, newer, newer, younger couple moved in and they said, I heard you're the guy that does hay around our area. Yep. So they asked all the neighbors, they're like, We'd re- we bought this ground and we don't have any equipment to do it. Um, what, what do you charge to do it? So this isn't just farmers. This could be just people that like just bought land and 100%. they don't have anything. Right. So like who does it around our area or who could I get to do that? Yep. So that would be the same. So my husband does a lot of hay around us as well. And so he's always had people calling him and we've gotten out of the square bi- square billing business. So he's always passing on. So this is a way to help navigate that as, you know, farmers continue to grow and develop within their own industry and move on, you know, maybe from square bailing to round bailing. And how do the newer ones that are maybe coming on and doing more of that pick up that type of work. So I, this is where you tie it into what's working in ag and how we achieve higher levels of profitability. So we've done episodes with explaining how custom farming can be an extra line of revenue to your operation. So right. not, I don't have to just post the opportunity for someone else to come help me. I can put out there that I'm available to do these services. So Dave, if you are willing to bail hay, you can create a profile and put out there that you're willing to do those services. And then I assume... Within the radius you set up, he gets an alert if someone posts a need. Right. Nice. Yep. And then vice versa. So the one, you get them both ways once it's accepted. That's pretty cool. And then cool. it allows you to message within the system to be able to talk back and forth. And like I said, you can barter, you can, you negotiate your terms 100% as far as custom cost, any of that. Just a side note, what, what do you guys think is the most requested service that'll be on on this app 
Is it combining? Is it tillage? Is it haying? Like, think about that for just a second. I you know, my, the most expensive initial, piece of equipment is probably what a combine. Yeah. So my initial gut thought was spraying. Because people just don't want to do it? Or don't own a sprayer. It's, okay. it's usually yeah. one of the, when I look at my customers on the balance sheet, that's probably the piece of equipment that is on the least number of balance sheets is their own sprayer. Do you, do you know what it is? So right now it is farm hands. So help on the farm. No labor. Okay. People. And <laughs> it's people. I feel so dumb. I should have known that. And CDL drivers for the fall. Yes. To get the grain out of the field. Well, that's a whole nother perspective. I didn't even think about just physical help. Just a body mm-hmm. with skill. I shouldn't say just a body. Somebody with skill. This is why you're swiping left or swiping right. Right. <laughs> I like this. I like this a lot. Instead of long walks on the beach, it's going to say, I have a CDL. Yep. <laughs> I enjoy driving trucks, spending long hours. <laughs> long hours in a, looking in over, a crane looking cart. Over yeah. the nose of a Peterbilt. Yes. This is great. Farmy, double M, double E, F-A-R, double M, double E. You can yep. find it on all the app stores. And you know the app's going to work because the company's owned by three women. So I guarantee you there is no detail that got missed. Gotcha. So that's a what's working in ag segment. Molly Woodruff, Farmy, F-A-R, double M, double E. What's the best way they can ask questions if they don't want to just download the app? So if you don't want to just download the app, feel free. We are on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok, um, and then our website, www.farmy.com. Two M's, two E's. And then we have an email as well that you can email. It's info at farmy.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Molly, for joining us. Thank you. Tanner, tell us where we're at. You bet. In a beautiful third day of the Farm Progress Show. Nice little breeze. It is. This could have been worse. We're tucked away nice here in the shade. Uh, what do we have? we got a 4430 sitting behind us, and I think that's applicable to today's show because what are we talking about, Dave? But it's a special 4430. It's mechanical front-wheel drive. I don't think they made very many, but we have Tractor Zoom here today. The people that geek out on all the data of any tractor that's sold or any piece of farm machinery uh, that's sold. Absolutely. So why don't we jump in here? You guys should be familiar with our guest, TJ Masker. But TJ, why don't you tell the listeners who you are and what you do at TractorZoom? Yeah, TJ Masker. Uh, help run the product development at TractorZoom. And basically what we're doing is, is advertising uh, farm equipment that goes to auction or at a dealership. And so, you know, when we would have talked about a year ago, we were sitting on about $3.2 billion worth of transactional data. And next week we'll go across twenty billion. Oh, and hey. so well, that, we're, we're, that's got to be what half the United States. <laughs> yeah, I think you're you're spot all, on. The, all the equipment sold in the United States. We're, by the end of the year, we'll approach two out of every three pieces of equipment that's sold uh, will be going across our platform. Yeah. Um, and so we have about ninety percent of the auction data, and we started allowing equipment dealers to advertise with us, which has grown to thirty-five percent of that market uh, just in uh, the last year. Mercy. So, so how many billion again? Say it one more time. It'll be, Six billion? Uh, it'll be twenty billion dollars worth of Whoa. transaction data. We'll market about fourteen to fifteen billion dollars worth of equipment this year. Wow! Wow! That's impressive numbers, but that also gives you some good value to the data sets that you guys are presenting and the value that you can provide our listeners. Yeah, and I kind of call them. I kind of call them, for lack of a better word, my road ditches. You have your retail price, you have your auction price, but auction is always going to be kind of the true tail sign of exactly what the market's doing. Um, obviously, a ton of equipment goes through the dealership. You know, we have some great dealer partners that are here at the Farm Progress Show, but that auction value and where that's trending is always a real pulse on what's actually happening out in the countryside. 
So Yeah, Dave, and you would also say that auction price is market price, at least market the day of, the time of, the minute of the auction closes. Yep, true price discovery is what uh, the auction market would call it. Yeah. Yep. So the cool part about TractorZoom is I even use this on a banking side where I'm looking at values on balance sheets just to kind of line up new customers or make sure the values listed by current customers aren't cutting anybody short or someone's not overstating their value. So let's hit in and try and give our listeners an update between last year and this year. What sticks out in your mind about equipment sales? Are we are we have more sales than last year? Do we have less pieces of equipment moving? What are you seeing? It's a tight market. Um, so with, with OEMs having trouble delivering new with some of the supply chain difficulties we've had, now what I'd say is we have what's called our tractor index. So that uh, what we do is we compare that to the year 2018, which is considered a normal year. And in 2018, uh, that's kind of our base. So figure that as like 1.0. Well, that tractor index hit 1.38 in December of 2021. Okay. So that means basically 38% or 38 percentage points higher for basically the same tractor Wow! in in December of 2021. Now that's cooled off a little bit. We're at more like 1.25, 1.26 on that index, but it's still high yeah. <laughs> compared to um, our base year. So we're still seeing on the tractor side especially, it's still tight. OEMs are having trouble delivering new. Now as that catches up, we'll start to see that and that index is kind of what I look to to start to tell me when that starts to cool off, I think we're starting to see a little bit of a correction. Well, what's the background that's pushing that index up, uh, if you had to say? If, is it just interest rates? I know that's one everybody's going to say, but is there is there more? I think interest rates have obviously had an effect. We've seen interest, you know, Tanner, your banker, go from almost basically free money to now you're probably at a more yeah. normal rate of 5 6 7%. So that's cooled things off. I think in certain parts of the geography, you know, we maybe don't have the crop we thought we were going to have. Uh, and, I, and that obviously hinders buying. So those two things are probably cooling off a little bit. And then I'd also say, again, I think OEMs are starting to catch up. So you put those three things together and you go from a 1.38 down to a 1.25. Now, we'll see what December of 2022 says, right? Because that's going to be your peak buying time. Nobody really wants to pay uh, their taxes at the end of the year and wants to get that and depreciation. Tanner, I think TJ said it on the front end, and that is uh, OEMs and supply and demand. Correct. So uh, that brand new combine that's sitting next to us for 700 or a million dollars, depending on which one you pick, um, there's less. There's not as many of them out there. So auction-wise, uh, that used equipment, late model, good late model stuff that is just, uh, you know, uh, a few hundred hours or so, man, it's, it's bringing doggone new price or more. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you a, a comparison point. So we've been tracking a couple of these. There's been a couple dealer liquidation sales, a couple of larger dealers. And those late model 7 Series combines, for example, mm -hmm. they brought 90% of retail asking prices. But when you looked at the comparison to those 6 Series combines, mm -hmm. it was 76%. Wow. Oh. So that's an interesting data point because you'd think, right, if all else equal, right, that retail and that asking should be closer. But we saw it to a T on those 32 combines that those late model 7 Series were bringing around 90% of retail asking. So, at, And this is anecdotal. I've talked to 15 farmers in the last week. It's almost like some guys are jumping from those 9770s to mm -hmm. those S770s, right? I got you. And so, I, would, I would say that's accurate because I know I've got a couple of customers and, and friends of the podcast that are doing the same thing. They want to make that next jump just because of the, the technology, the, the idea of we're going to do it and we want to have a machine that is going to last us a while again. 
and they go completely over the sixes. Yeah. So, TJ, do you have any data on d dealer inventory? We're talking dealers, where they're at, guys upgrading. So when we talk dealer inventory, I, I want to go, is it just combines sold out? Like, what, what are we seeing that they have? Do they have more tractors, uh, more, le less planters? I mean, where, where are we at? Uh, I would say they definitely have more combines than okay. tractors. Tractors are, are still kind of the, the thing that they're always for sale and they always move. But in this market where guys have made money, okay. uh, tractor inventory is tight. If you look at, um, they, they have what's called kind of a washout cycle. And so if I explain that really quick, like the new guy buys new every year, right? Yep. And then there's the guy who buys one to three-year-old and then okay. three to five and five to seven. And you kind of wash that equipment out. Yep. That's what's called the washout cycle. What you see is... There's quite a few combines that are in that 1,700 to 2,500 hour range that are starting to really add up. And I think tractor-wise, though, it's flat. Okay. So you're seeing that washout cycle be a little bit more normal, but you're seeing a few of those more machines that have a few more hours on them in that 2,500 hour range. Do you think, so when I go out to eat, there's always limited help anymore. We're closing down earlier hours. Do you think that dealers are facing that, that they're just missing people, and so we have less uh, equipment because we've got nobody to build it? Oh, that's a good question. I think uh, John Deere and Case IH and Kloss are all very incentivized in this market to produce the machines that they need to produce. Hire the guys at the right amount. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. I would assume so. I'm not. I'm not a OEM expert, but I would assume that that to be the case. Uh, but obviously, keeping up with with demand, and then I think what you're seeing is those those parts and those supplies are starting to become more real time. We were on site with an OEM last week, and they said they might not hit delivery on one machine. So one more thing. So we're talking used equipment, what the dealers have, how, how much they have, and, and what's affected it. We talked about interest rates. We talked about supply and demand. Uh, we haven't talked about corn prices going up. So corn prices went up. I saw it in the land market that uh, we saw uh, it jump up quite a bit. Um, uh, do you have a number of what just generically equipment values are up? You gave 1.25 index uh, rate. Uh, now, for most of the guys that uh, aren't an index person based on what your guys' basis was, are, are, if we're just up, would you say like 10 percent, 20 percent? Yeah, 20, uh, 20 to 25 percent is probably a, a really solid number. If you look at, you know, the average price of a of a row track, a row crop tractor around 500 hours, the average list price is going to be close to 300,000 uh, for 174 to 299 horsepower, which is probably up again 15 to 20 percent from huh. a year ago. Interesting. And so eventually, what I know, and again, I haven't been around this industry as long as many people have, but it goes down a lot faster than it than it went up. Yeah. And so. That's kind of the question we get all the time is just like if you're buying a used car right now, like it's crazy, but it's starting to soften a bit. When is the bottom going to fall out? And when when are those opportunities going to be there to buy that equipment? So, Dave, you know, I kind of sat here a little bit silent digesting the information, TJ, that you shared. <clears throat> we had Matt from Prairie State Tractor on a little while ago, and he was stating that the labor shortage that he sees at his family's dealership is in the mechanic side, the repair side. And that's probably what's maybe incentivizing some farmers to purchase new equipment. One, they've got some cash flow. They've got some liquidity because of the run-up in, in corn prices, like Dave stated. But two, because they're waiting longer to get tractors repaired, to get machines repaired, to get parts sourced, and they want something that's new and more reliable. Also, Dave, I think the same reason they're going back and they're buying this, this beautiful 30-series tractor behind me something that they can work on by themselves yeah. and can source parts, you know, whether it's through junkyards or through used part machines, as far as that is considered. The second thought that I wanted to share was kind of around the bottom following out, falling out. 
because we hear all over the place when you're looking at the cost to build. You want to build a, a piece of property, lumber prices have gone up, and people said they're never going to return back down no. to the levels that they were at. Your comment, though, is counterdicting, and it's fascinating that that can happen in an equipment market, that it can. It can completely fall bottom out, but there's other things in agriculture like maybe the price of nitrogen or the price of seed corn that isn't going to have such risk on the bottom side as it could on the other direction. So do, do you see that in the data points historically on how equipment values can completely hit bottom? Yeah, I think 2014 is the great example. What happened that's different than this this time than the last time is uh, from talking to equipment dealers in 12, right, we had corn prices rising, guys purchasing equipment, record profitability, but they also overproduced. That's not happening this time. And so what happened was they were obviously incentivized. They could get parts. They could get all these things. They could produce a ton of S680s, 690s back then, or 670s, 680s back then. But now the difference this time around is that there's not going to be overproduction. So will it fall out as quickly? No, most likely it won't. But when it does start to move and the market starts to move, there'll be a lot of pieces hit the market. Just, just in time. That's what we've been learning. The just-in-time manufacturing of we don't want to make it until, until we, we know it. we need, we already got it sold. I, You got me thinking here, Tanner. So you just said, okay, maybe it can fall out of bed with that, but what about seed? So then I thought, well, why doesn't seed fall out of bed? Why doesn't fertilizer fall out of bed? Why doesn't the automotive market fall out of bed? Fall oh, out of bed? I, it, it could. Okay. So it, it could. Housing market, okay, so we have lots of different markets. So it made me think of a statement that I've heard from an auctioneer. We don't... We don't chase the market we create the market we set the market is is the the term we set set where that market's going to be i know in the cattle industry uh you know we don't you got four different packers and one packer doesn't want to let the other packer sell too cheap because then they're getting a deal and so they, they all carry the market and make the market what it is um, I'm wondering if the different competitors from John Deere to Case to uh, uh, New Holland to uh, Kloss, everybody, if they don't uh, have a, not a monopoly here, I'm not going to say that, but, you know, they're, they're, they're setting the market. Look, this is what it costs, period. Uh, I, you guys are going to pay it irregardless. And then, so that's one thought. Now let me take it a different direction. Bankers, dirty dog on bankers. <laughs> so let's pretend that all this does fall out of bed. And all our equipment's out there, and we're talking balance sheets, we're talking borrowability. We, we uh, as the federal government, don't want to see that with inflation right now. So what did we do? We have, let's spend $300 million or whatever it is, billion dollars in anti-inflation bills, and, and we have corrective actions for that. Banks also have protection measures on that, right, Tanner? Like, you can't, like, there, there's a, you can't foreclose on anybody right now. There's a uh, moratorium. moratorium on it. So... Is, is some of that holding the market stronger? Are we setting the market as the lenders, as the community of agriculture, as the dealerships, and, and not letting it fall out of bed? So does TractorZoom track interest rates for borrowing on equipment loans? Um, so we, we've partnered with some uh, financial institutions. So we've, we understand where the interest rate is for equipment right now, and obviously we've seen it go up. You know, three whole, ba you know, three hundred base or sorry, yep, you're right, three hundred basis points uh, since the first of the year. Um, now, what's interesting, and, and again, I don't know if this is like one of those weird things, but we saw six hundred and sixty combines go to auction in the month of August. That was about fifty percent higher than the December high of a year ago. So I, wow. again, I don't, 
I'm just, I look at this data and I see that and I'm like, well, why is that? Does somebody know something that I don't know? Um, but you start to see is more stuff going to auction, is more stuff starting to move because people are trying to capture on this market high. I, I, and I know you were asking about interest rates, but is that a, a leading indicator once we start to see more inventory hit? Right, and I would state that the interest rate trend is typically following strength in an economy, whether yep. it's strength in a global economy, a national economy, or a sector of economy. And the ag sector, although is cautiously optimistic, has been good the last two years. The Purdue survey over the trends that farmers see coming forward is going negative. Correct. You know, they're not, not super enthralled with what they're facing next year for input costs, but for right now, they're upgrading equipment that they have put off for a long time. And I, I've said it on previous podcasts, it's one of my lines, is markets are emotion. And right now, the emotion's good. When the emotion's good, I want to spend money. I feel like I got jingle. I'm going to go with it, you know, yeah. and, and spend. So it makes me ask the question, TJ, who is selling? Well, I want to, hold on, before we get into that question, I just want to make sure we clarify we got the answer to the first one. So you overall feel right now that the equipment market is stronger than this time last year when we talked? Uh, the, the numbers would indicate that it, it, it was, it, it's very, it's still strong, but I would say we hit our peak in Q4, right, okay. after we would have talked a year ago, which makes sense, right? It's end of year, I don't want to pay taxes, I'm going to buy yep. stuff, so I think... A really big indicator will be as we look at this number yep. in December of 22, 2022, what does that look like? Gotcha. Um, okay. In your question, Dave. Yeah. I gotcha. So now, uh, I, I, a million-dollar question here. Who's selling all this equipment? Uh, I mean, so recently we've seen, and typically you see this, uh, what's a bit surprising, um, we've seen a couple bigger dealers do some dealer liquidation sales of combines, heads, and different tractors. Now, there's a couple thoughts there. One is the market's super hot, so... If I know what I got into it and I can take it to auction and I make money, why wouldn't I, Game right? On. Yep. Um, now, that's just interesting because, again, you, you drive around, everyone's like, equipment's so tight, equipment's so tight, you'd think that all of that would have a home. So mm -hmm. those are two things I'm looking at. I don't have a prediction of where we're, we're headed, but it's interesting when you see some of these dealer liquidation sales happening in a market that's perceived to be super, super hot, right? Do you, do you know what percent of your equipment, uh, and this might not be a statistic you brought with you, but I bet you guys track it, uh, how, how much of the equipment that moves around the U.S. is uh, from dealers, and how much is private? So uh, this is a, a bit of an assumption extrapolating data out, but I would, I would assume, you know, two-thirds to 70% of, of equipment moves through, through a dealership, and then 20-ish percent at auction, and the remainder private. And that's through us understanding the market, understanding the auctioneers and dealers we have, and projecting that out. And so I would say still a vast majority is moving through the dealership. Because, Tanner, I was thinking, I, I know we've said it before, we've had this conversation, is if I took something to a retirement sale, okay, we're retiring, we're getting out of farming, um, everybody knows that, hey, they were just using it, it's good, and so it arguably brings 15% more. If, if it's a retirement auction versus a consignment auction, hey, I just, I need to get rid of this piece, I'm going to something different, and they sell it, um, this is why I've always been anti-consignment, because it didn't bring as much for the seller if we could have it uh, on the farm. Um, so, you know, if it's private treaty that's out there, um, you know, 20%, are there a lot of guys retiring? Yeah, it seems like you're still seeing, um, obviously, some of the bigger names out there, you know, the Big Irons, the Steffis, the Sullivans of the world, right? There, yep. There's a lot of retirement auctions. And these, if you look at these auctions where some of these pieces don't have a ton of hours on them, like they're bringing really, really good money. Oh, yeah. and. Uh, that's that's kind of one of those things that, that helps inform that index of exactly where we're at. We're comparing all the equipment, but 
we also obviously track retirement versus consignment versus dealer liquidation, and I wish I had the stats for for you right here. But we do see a difference between the between the three different types of auction. So, yeah, and it's been fun for me to have conversations with a couple of the dealers that have been here at Farm Progress. Also, I got some customers of mine that are salesmen, and it's hard being an equipment salesperson right now because the inventory is so low. Correct. And when you get a good piece in, like what you're seeing on these retirement sales that are going really, really high, is they almost have an internal auction between salespeople as to which client can they call first, get to answer the phone first, and get to commit to a price. They don't even get a price put on it as a list item. It's, hey, we have this S790 came in. It's got only 250 separator hours. It's like brand new. Boom, it's internal between salesmen. We got it quick. There's no more holds. It's you either take it now or you don't take this one and good luck finding another one. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's interesting is with um, the trends we've seen, all of this stuff moving online in the last, you know, 18 to 24 months for obvious reasons. There's obviously now another buyer on these online auctions, which are these dealers, right? They're going to go in and, and they're going to look at a retirement auction. And if they think that, you know, they can get that piece bought at the right price, bring it to the dealership and try to sell it, we're seeing that happen too. There was, Dave, I don't know if you saw that post, but there, Sullivan's had a sale that an 8235R, not front-wheel assist, so okay. a two-wheel drive 8235R with like 821 hours on it. They bought it. A dealer bought it off of the Sullivan sale, posted it on their website, said one owner, one owner local trade. <laughs> but everybody had been watching that tractor because it was so rare, so low hours. Right. You know, it was two-wheel drive. It was kind of sticking out like a... A thorn in a haystack. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but you get the point. It was like busted. Yeah. But they were. They were the player at the auction. It wasn't wasn't just that. So is that who the buyers are, or what are you seeing buyers wise? Um, and so we don't we don't track the actual buyers uh, on on our site, uh, but we do know is that uh, we do know that dealers are participating and trying to up their inventory, right? And in a tight inventory, if they think they can have an opportunity to make money, uh, they're going to try to pull that piece in. But you still see farmers. You know, especially in their local area, like you talk about a retirement auction, one owner, a couple years old that only has a few hours on it. You know kind of the history of that machine, but you're also seeing guys that you think it'd be crazy to buy a $300,000, $400,000 machine buying it sight unseen, to your point, Tanner, earlier about, hey, I just got this thing in. Do you want it? Mm-hmm. And that's, yep. that wouldn't have happened three years ago or four never. years ago. Absolutely never. Dave, I, I don't remember if we talked about this last year with TJ, but the PPP money. Yep. CFAP money, all the programs that have come into place related to agriculture and small business has got to be part of the influx of cash and the shortage of inventory in the line of equipment. And I do think I've had conversations with listeners, and I know I've had conversations with my customers talking about they're not so eager to trade in their old tractor, their old combine, they're adding to their fleets. So I just think that's a that's an anecdotal, that word. Yeah. That's a bonus little tidbit out of conversations that that we're having. But out of Tractor Zoom, I remember asking you last year, and I don't know if you had done any follow-up on that. Are any of the buyers investors? Uh, I, you know, I, I do not know the answer to that question, and I, I would suspect not. I mean, sometimes you have, obviously, equipment jockeys, which I would consider maybe right. of that persona where they're buying and selling, and I'm sure there's opportunities out there. I think with as tight as this market is, the one thing that's probably different than a year or two ago is you're seeing the dealer come into play to try to find opportunities because they have customers in their area that they want to help and service, and, and they're probably trying to do that a little bit more maybe than they were two, three years ago. So that, that's gonna, I'm going to pull a Dave because the term investor in farmland 
you've said over and over again is is defined multiple different ways. Yes. He he'll tell you exactly what he thinks an investor is, and it could even be the farmer himself. I'm glad that you brought up the dealer and the jockey. That's the terminology that they've been described as in the past. But when you're trying to boost inventory, you've now become an investor. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, in this tight market, you know, hopefully we can keep to start getting the supply chains figured out and new can keep showing up on time. And then I think one thing that will be interesting is you brought up the point of guys just adding another tractor. The crazy thing to me is, like, I think about a world in two years from now or three years from now, what if a guy's wanting to upgrade a tractor? Is he going to trade two in? What yep. happens to the market? That's, that's like, the what if for me that is he going to trade two tractors in for that one new one because he was sitting on an extra one? Then what happens to the used market? Those are the types of things that when that inventory starts to hit and the inventory starts to grow, there'll be signs to start to indicate, hey, we might be on the tail end of this thing. That. That might be the takeaway, Dave, out of the conversation because at least it made my eyes light up. A lot of the times when I've got customers that are keeping instead of trading, it's because they weren't offered as much as they thought their tractor was worth. Mm -hmm. But there's going to come a time to where even that little bit of offer is going to go a long ways in the next acquisition. See, now I'm trying to buy a tractor right now as we speak. My neighbor was going to sell it to me. And I went back to him, and he's never given me a price. I've texted him four or five times, like, what's the price? What's the price? Oh, I want you to buy this. I want you to buy this. They're not going to give me anything for trade-in. Then all of a sudden, um, I asked him last week, and I said, hey, what, what's going on with your tractor? It's getting close to the end of the year. I'd like to do tax myself. And uh, he says, wow, the doggone dealer called me back. They're going to give me a whole lot more money than they were going to give me for trade-in. I think I'm going to trade for a baler. So this is just recent as of last week that he's going to now trade it in. I said, well, hey, aren't you better with cash in hand to go buy your bailer than the trade-in? And I don't know if he is because uh, he's ready to take their trade-in rather than my cash and, and then take the cashier and go buy the bailer. So um, just an interesting interesting deal. But well, salesmen have to get creative. In a yep. tight market, you have to get creative, whether that's in price transparency or that's in structuring a deal. That goes that way. I, so do we have a name now? we got equipment jockeys. So do we have like a slang dealer jockey? Like, like we, we need to come up with something like a good like like dealer danger. I don't know what it is. I'll like, leave that to you we guys. Need, we a need dealer, a name. A dealer dangler. Yeah. <laughs> but like it's Double a competitive D. market, right? And yeah. that's, that's, what, that's what auction's meant to do, right? Yeah. It's meant to get the best price for the piece of equipment. And that's why... It's something that we value, our data point we value very highly is because it's exactly what's happening and this is the market we're in, so we have to adjust, right? Well, there, there's See, so much liquidity in ag and dealers are not immune to it from that fact also. So, you know, you talk about time value of money and sitting on inventory. A dealer has the cash right now to where if it's sitting idle, they might as well invest it in machinery, even if it might take them six months to get that item sold for more than what they bought it at auction. It's still a better use of their cash than it just sitting in a non-interest bearing account or a low interest bearing account. Say note, there's a robot driving down the road right here. <laughs> oh, there is. Look at that. That's Farm Progress Show stuff, right? There. <laughs> Side note. I think that's the weed. That's the weeder seek or seek so, weeder. So we have dealers buying stuff, but it's almost like bringing a gun to a knife fight, right? They have the data. They have data because if you're a dealer, you have your whole dealer database of everything mm -hmm. that's sold around the country, et cetera, et cetera. How are we arming the average farmer to go out with some data to that auction and know that they're giving the right price? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple things. One is is that you know if you're a farmer, understanding the value of your equipment, right, it's the second biggest part of the, the balance sheet as far as assets go. You could go out every month and try to search and 
keep a spreadsheet and keep track of it. You know, one of the things we've tried to do is make that really easy in real time uh, is to have your own equipment list where we'll give you the value of the 10 most comparable sales that are around it. And we're gonna update that value every month on the tractor zoom side. And we're just trying to do that because we think the more farmers understand where that market's going and what stuff's actually worth, it, it only helps in that part of the process. So you got some analytics with you. I don't know if you might have data on this. Give us some examples. Like what is uh, average combine bring in or, uh, or just average uh, four-wheel drive tractor in this market? If you have that, if not, don't worry about it. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, so we just updated every month the farmers that have built equipment lists on Tractor Zoom, for example, get an update on what the price of their equipment is. So like if I look at a 2018... John Deere. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up, hold up. You said their equipment list. Yeah. They're, up, yeah. they're uploading their equipment and holding yep. it in like a server? Yeah, so it's just right on the app right here. So you, Or you could go online to the website. I think the app's much easier. But uh, you can enter in the So specs. they're keeping their whole inventory on there, and then yeah. you give them an update of where their, their, their balance sheet is, if you will. Yeah, so this 640FD, for example, back when I added it on July 18th, I haven't changed any specs, 49,100. Now that same one. The comparable sales have it closer to 67,000. It's one of those heads that's, I think, in higher demand. So, yes, I think it's important to look at the tractor market or look at the combine market in general, but I think it's more important to look at the value of your specific equipment because gotcha. by make and model and specs, like, I can tell you that, you know, the prices of certain models are changing different than older models, right? Because they're in more demand. And so I advocate for understanding exactly what your equipment's worth and then also add what you're looking to buy keep a good eye on it like we're gonna see opportunities in the next year or two to buy equipment i do believe that um but having a, a good pulse on what your equipment's worth i think is the best thing you can do in this market where things seem crazy right crazy is the right term dave and, and i think it's crazy across the economic spectrum you know there's a lot of unprecedented things happening at this moment Obviously, one of those is hanging out at a Bush beer tent in a John Deere booth. I mean, you're seeing collaborations across the equipment industry that you didn't see in the past. And I always think that that's indicative of not stretching, but evolving. You know, what is it going to look like coming down the road? And that's where TractorZoom can come in and help that farmer evolve with the market and not lose touch and lose sight of that. But when you see these sales, obviously you track them digitally, but I know that you and your team also have boots on the ground. You have people that are just purely interested in the data and the results from these sales anyway. Is retirement sales the only way to have a successful, high-valued equipment sale to label it retirement, or are there other things that sellers are doing to command the most money out of their asset? You know, I think labeling it a retirement sale is is one piece of the equation but man like you'd be surprised like the best people that are selling equipment take really good photos and again like this sounds like the simplest thing that you could ever do but i can show you like one of our great partners sullivan's right i can show you the amount of bidders they get compared to everybody else because they one they've got a great brand no doubt right number two they do a really good job of taking pictures and having the specs so if you want to stand out Obviously, wash the wash the machine. You know, take some really good pictures, or go out and look like look at a Sullivan listing, for example, or or something like that, because that'll give you an idea of, of what it takes to bring a premium in this market. But have the right specs. Answer your phone. Like these, these saw, things sound so simple, but like that's exactly what it takes in this market. I'll tell you, I had Dave. I talked to Corey the other day, and he was looking at a combine at an online auction, and was talking with the seller and texting with the seller 
in the closing minutes of the auction. And I know that that forced Corey to put a couple more bids in because he felt more comfortable. But I've always made fun of the dealers. It looks like they've got a place in their lot, white rock. There's nothing in the background. And I'm sitting there going, how do you waste all this area just to take pictures of a machine? But is it really that valuable? Yeah, it is. It, they'll tell you that the number one reason why a piece isn't moving is there's something wrong with the description or there's something wrong with the pictures on that machine. And I think Corey was actually texting me about that same machine, trying to let him know so what it was worth. I always say there's two reasons it doesn't sell, price and marketing. <laughs> it was either marketed poorly or it's priced too high. Correct. So marketed would be the pictures, the descriptions. Absolutely. The, so marketing and price. If, if, if marketing didn't sell it, if you didn't market it correctly, then uh, price is the answer. So Correct. Last, year, last year we flipped the script on him, Dave, and we asked him what his advice for buyers would be. Yeah. But I think he kind of already gave us a, a small tidbit of that is if you're looking at buying something, put it in your tractor zoom list. Yep. Monitor the value. But what else would you say to buyers? Um, I would say just keep your eyes keep your eyes open for opportunities and then, you know, obviously be prepared going to that sale. Like let's say you are going to auction, work with your banker ahead of time. Make sure you you know, like if you are gonna finance that piece, maybe you're paying cash, but make sure you're prepared because if you know exactly what you can bid and you know what the market is for that piece, you all of a sudden have confidence in exactly what you want to spend and you've done your research and you've got the financing lined up like all of that i think goes a long ways towards towards getting that piece handled yeah. so what uh what's your prediction for next year 2023 uh so this is uh this is one where we get to review it again a, a year from now right uh and see oh, how we wrong should, we should quick listen to how <laughs> we should quick listen to how you answered it last year uh i think i think you're going to i think you're going to see OEMs catch up which uh and then with that, you're also going to see probably more normalizing, uh, potentially. Who knows what Mother Nature is going to do? Like, corn price is kind of the, the old anomaly. Old, the anomaly here. But if things start to normalize and OEMs catch up, you're going to see this market stabilize a bit more. Now, I don't know that OEMs are going to all of a sudden reduce their list price anymore. I've never heard of that happening. Uh, but what I do think you'll see is opportunities in the market when that does catch up to get to upgrade that piece. You know, I know it's hard right now because you've been... You maybe you have a six, seven, eight-year-old machine. And you're like, gosh, I really want to upgrade it, but I do think in the next 12 to 18 months, there's going to be opportunities to upgrade at maybe not the highest price today. Going backwards, I got one more question for you. I just had a discussion about this on farmland: buyer's premiums. So, for the you listeners that don't know what a buyer's premium is, buyer premium is where the buyer is paying the auction commission or the sellers or the the, the selling commission. Somebody's uh, who's selling it. The marketer's got to make money somehow, mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll charge the buyer versus the seller, also called a buyer's premium. Um, I know 10 years ago, we didn't have nearly as many buyer's premiums. I know some of the big platforms all uh, started tacking that on there. Got a little pushback from farmers. As you guys are tracking data, have you tracked the difference between auctions with buyer's premiums and without? And do they bring more or do the buyers say, you know what, i got to pay it anyway, let's go? That is a great question that I wish I had the answer to. Um, that's something we probably should track. Um, is, does the auction company have a buyer's premium and does that affect the sale? I think you just gave us a, a great idea of a data point to track. We're not tracking it today, but obviously that comes into play, right? Like if you're paying 4%, some of these pieces right have a cap, right? Like yep. it's, 
there was a couple 8RXs that sold in North Dakota yesterday or two days ago. I'm sure there was a cap on, on that, but that has to go into play in, into the total price you're willing to pay from a buyer's standpoint. I've, I've seen some guys and and uh, they, they not put a cap. They just said, you know what? I see the buyers buying them any way you look at it. Let's uh, get whatever we can get and charge it. And they have, and they didn't put a cap on it, and uh, um, they're making more commission on it, but it, it didn't back the buyers off at all. So they're still willing to pay. A guy worded it to me once. He says, uh, is that your truck? I said, yeah. I said, what was the list price on it? It's right here. He said, what did you write a check for? Well, you had tax and tag and title and everything else on top. He said, did it stop you from buying that vehicle? Well, no, it didn't stop me. I wonder if we see a larger trend of uh, uh, the entire equipment process uh, move to buyer's premium. Yeah, and I think with your background on the auction side, you probably have as, as good of a pulse on that as anyone, but I think you're right. Like, I've already made the decision to buy whether or not... <laughs> I'm going to add it on, but obviously 5% or 6% on a $500,000 piece yep. of equipment is not chump change. Yeah, so. correct. That's right. I want to make a comment back on your OEM's catching up prediction. Yeah. So I have a, a couple of dealer connections, you know, listeners of the podcast that have stated that in the last 30 days, they have seen orders, order dates getting moved up. They haven't filled the orders yet. But instead of waiting 90 days or the order date was 120 days out, now you're looking at October 1st. You know, just things are starting to shift their way closer, which I would I would argue is going to lead towards your your prediction. But I appreciate you hanging out, TJ. Tractor Zoom, obviously. Got a couple of wrap-up questions before yeah. we ask the payoff question. I know you're a fan, so you probably already got that prepared. First of all, share your contact information or how people can get more information on TractorZoom. Yeah, I mean, I think the best way is to go out to TractorZoom.com. Or, I mean, most people are downloading the app on their phone. Um, that's a great way to keep up to date on what we're doing. And, you know, my contact information, you can find me on Twitter at AgTechTed or you can email me at TJMasker at TractorZoom.com. Okay, so. and then second time, or second thing is, is how many users, I assume you track, how many users have set up accounts on TractorZoom? Oh boy, that's a really great question. So we've uh, we're our account creation ever since our Tina came on board is up three hundred percent. We've grown our monthly active users. We need a Tina. But yeah, <laughs> you do need a Tina. Uh, I mean, we're we've grown the site traffic 10, 15x. I'm probably understating it. So uh, we've also invested in SEO, all this stuff. That again, I'm not the expert in all this, right. but like all of that goes towards building an audience, and so. I think where we're, we're doing a good job is we're, we're helping farmers understand where equipment's at. I think if you're going to find a piece at auction, I would I would challenge you to find a better site to find a piece at auction than, than what we've done. And you can find those dealer and auction equipment side by side in the same search. So, yeah, our users and traffic have all gone up, and that's been a testament to Mark Great Marketing and a great product. So, Nice. That's great. So. Do you need time to think of the answer to what the best advice you've ever been given is? Should I summarize first while you put some thought into it? You should You should summarize Dave, first. you're going to get to do the challenge again. Fair so enough. listeners, we're here, TJ Masker, Tractor Zoom, Farm Progress Show 2022. We're actually sitting here at the end of the third day. This is our last interview for the show. TJ, thanks for sticking around to the end of that. We wanted to find out what machinery and equipment trends were looking like. We always try to get you this data once a year. Maybe we should do it more often, but we're going to give you an annual year-over-year -year basis. TractorZoom's database has grown significantly. There's something like $20 billion in sales worth of data here, probably by the time the show comes out, to reflect on. Uh, seeing more combines available. Uh, pretty hot commodity is 500-hour and less tractors in that 190 to 299 horsepower range. 
uh, pushing 300,000 at times. Potential for some signals that when's the bottom going to come in the equipment market. We saw that in 2014, but that is something that we might want to look out for. However, a mitigating factor to that is we don't see OEMs overproducing like they did during that time period. A lot of just-in-time, we're going to place an order and then go make it type sales. On the auction side, seeing more retirement sales, obviously, dealers are still controlling a majority of the inventory, plus now they are participating in buying at some of these retirement auctions and private sales. Uh, we talked about investors possibly being those dealers and jockeys themselves. What are we going to look like down the road? We got a prediction that uh, possibly inventory is going to start to catch up on these orders. And if you are looking to sell something yourself, Dave, pictures and descriptions matter. Keep those descriptions accurate. Take really good pictures. And of course, sign up for TractorZoom because one, they're a growing platform and things grow for a reason. You don't want to be last to the party. This could be a competitive edge for your farm and you heard it here on Farm for Profit. So what is some of the best advice, TJ, that you've ever been given? I know you guys are, are big on this, but never underestimate uh, the power of your network. I mean, sitting around the table here, walking around with Tina here today, like, you know, I've been involved in the ag industry my whole life, but coming to the Farm Progress show, you get to see farmers you haven't seen in a while, farmers I used to work with. You get to talk with industry experts on the auction side, on the bank side. It's just like, man, you, you level up your knowledge when you have that great network around you, and it's, it's days like today that you really remember that. And so... Um, having that strong network and having that team around you that you can pick their brain or maybe it's Corey texting you five times wanting to know what a combine's worth at an auction sale coming up. Like, your <laughs> network's important. Uh, keeping those people around you uh, that really matter. And, and, and I think that's, you guys talk about it a lot, but it's so, so important. Yeah, I would agree. So, Dave, what do you challenge the listeners to do? Uh, we're at Progress Show, so be progressive with whatever you do. I'm going to say very specifically, be progressive with your data. Study the data before you make a purchase. Yeah. Make sure you maintain that network. Stay in touch with people. But, TJ, thank you again for hanging out with us on the Farm Profit Podcast. Listeners, we appreciate you for tuning in. Farm Progress Show was a success, wouldn't you say, Dave? I would say so. And until next time, have a good one. Remember, if you aren't farming for profit, you won't be farming for long.